another episode of Wizards After Dark that we are doing not after dark. I'm Fred Katz. I'm the host of this podcast, which seems to be deteriorating by the second, and I cover the Wizards for The Athletic. And uh, on the Skype line, this one we're doing from my brother's apartment. We're really going out on the limb and doing wow. podcasts all over the place. So yeah. And uh, on the line with me, I have the uh, the founder, the creator, the father of Bullets Forever, which is how Wizards fans probably know you best. Uh, now, uh, just one of the main NBA guys and must-reads at SB Nation, Mike Prado. Hey, it's thanks for having me. It's dark somewhere. It's right? always... It's, it's dark, dark somewhere. It's dark no, it, somewhere. It's five o'clock in the morning somewhere. If if there were like ironic slogans that explain the true identity of each NBA franchise, I feel like it's dark somewhere would be a good Wizards one. Yeah, that with uh, don't ever think it can't get any worse because it can. The very legendary Flip Saunderism of two thousand and nine. That is truly a legendary quote. I'll tell you what, I, I think I heard my favorite athlete quote. This is actually not hyperbole. I think I heard maybe my favorite athlete quote I've ever heard this morning. We're recording this uh, late Friday morning, by the way. I think I heard my favorite athlete quote ever this morning, which was, was it? Zach Grinke took a no-hitter deep into the game last night. And apparently post-game. right? Yes. Post-game. Okay. And Zach Grinke is like... The most he's basically, I guess the way I could put it is, is he's like if Clay Thompson were a really high maintenance guy in terms of caring about accolades and that kind of stuff. Even though he's like a great Hall of Fame pitcher, um, he's just at that level. And they asked the, you know, he took a no hitter deep into the game, and uh, he was asked about it after the game, and he said he doesn't care about throwing a no hitter. He'd rather not deal with the attention he get because quote it'd be more of a hassle than anything. That that probably describes the NBA this year quite well, right? I mean, there are all these stars that have had such great things happen to them, and they're unhappy because all of it is more of a hassle to deal with than they want. Yeah. It's such, it's it's such a great quote. I've never heard an athlete say anything like that, and I it just makes me so happy. It's, it's so great to hear somebody That's, say that. That's basically Kawhi Leonard's life motto, is it not? Yes. Yeah, you know what? I guess he and Kawhi might have some similarities there. It would mm. be more of a hassle than anything. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so so we don't have a ton of time, so I do kind of want to dive into it. So the Raptors, in case, uh, in case you're in that weird center of the Venn diagram of people who listens to niche Wizards podcasts but also doesn't know who won the NBA Finals, the Raptors won the NBA Finals last night. In really? Amazing stuff, I know. Whoa. Um, Wait, yeah. the, the team with the dinosaurs? <laughs> the team with the dinosaurs. That's true. Uh, they won the finals, and uh, they are also the team with, as NBC Sports Washington has reported, and how we have The Athletic have reported as well, um, the Wizards have been interested in their president, Masai Ujiri, to fill their role to replace Ernie Grunfeld. Uh, I reported eight or nine days ago that the Wizards uh, were believed, league sources believe the Wizards are waiting on Masai and that once the NBA Finals are over, they're going to make a run for him. And uh, you counted it, what did you say, 11 minutes after mm-hmm. the game ended? Woj, yep. Woj dropped a bomb on all of us that the Wizards are preparing an offer. Um, David Aldridge and I reported shortly after Woj said it would be 10 a year that, that the prepared offer uh, sources believe is is six years, sixty million. 
Um, I have a story up on The Athletic, by the way. Go ahead and read it. Uh, yeah, I did. Very Mike, very useful information. Thank you. Mike, Mike, in case you're unaware, is so great with the whole league, but I, I think, and I hope you don't take this as me small-timing you, I just think you're especially great with the Wizards. Um, what is, Appreciate that. <laughs> what is your Maasai? What is your Maasai thought on this? Well, you would know better if this actually has a real chance of happening, but just thinking about history, this kind of feels like the Durant stuff of 2016. I just, I mean, look, on the one hand, okay, cool. It's not my money. They And this is exactly, I think we say it all the time, this is where you spend money. This is not salary cap money that's contained. You can spend as much as you want in an executive, um, and you may as well go for the best. It's I don't really care if this makes the owner less rich. Uh, I don't, that doesn't really matter for me as a fan, but I mean, how, how realistic is this? And I feel like if it's not real, that realistic, and this is just, he's the best in the market. We have some loose idea that he might want to come here. Similar to how we, Hey, Kevin Durant wants to come home. We're going to hire his uh, former thunder coach and their player development coach of his high school. Like if it's, Anything, it's got to be a lot more than that, I think, for this to be worth all the trouble. Um, and you would know better than me whether it actually is. But if it's not, I mean, I just don't, I don't understand why they, they, they're making the same mistake twice, you know, I, especially after they talk so much about wanting a collaborative front office that kind of talks to each other and shares power. Now they're going out and going, paying as much as possible for a guy who surely will want some level of control that another GM candidate would not. I just think it's all so incongruent. And if they don't get Ujiri, they have egg on their face, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I will say I think their chances are better at Masai than they were at KD. Because their chances at KD were nothing. They just Well, it depends when you're talking about. Are you talking, like, what were their chances at KD in 2014? Right. Their chances at KD when they signed Scott Brooks were, yeah, were – they were not getting KD. They just weren't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not like KD was like, oh, maybe. I mean, when they signed Scott Brooks as part of a, hey, we're getting his former coach, and they bring in David Atkins, as you said, like those are, those are moves they're making for the potential of KD. Uh, it, it was always lower than this, and it – and at points approaching, it was as close to zero as you're going to get. I wouldn't yeah. say this is as close to zero as you're going to get. I would say it's less than 50%. Do you think it's less than 25%? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, to me, I'm thinking more about when you set the strategy to pursue Durant and Cat with your 2016 cat space, which was set 24 months out, 36 months out, all that then maybe the chances aren't zero. Then it's impossible to define, I suppose. Right, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's higher than that, but but yeah, I mean, it's. I would definitely say it's less than 50%. And I say, I, I, this is what I, this is not anything that any source has told me. I haven't even had time to have one conversation about a source with this because I, I wrote my stuff on, I, on, on Messiah as soon as the game ended, went to bed at four in the morning, woke up, and I'm podcasting with you. Uh, but I... Just my personal opinion is the Raptors winning last night hurts the Wizards' chances of getting Masai, and not just because he wouldn't want to leave a title team for another team. Also because now all of a sudden, and I had a little bit on this in the story that I wrote for this morning, now all of a sudden 
Masai is a title-winning lead executive. There are so few of those in the NBA. There's Pat Riley. Like, you have to go down the list so far that you forget that, like, Mitch Kupchak is one in Charlotte, you know? There's Pat Riley. There's David Griffin. There's R.C. Buford. There's Danny Ainge. And there's, there's Ernie Grunfeld, right? Wait, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ernie, Ernie, Ernie came close, went to the finals. Uh, but there, there are yeah, a couple of, <laughs> and he got fired in the middle of the season. A long time ago. A very long time ago. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, I feel like Ed Scott was technically the interim, but so if you're, if you're the, if you're a title winning top executive, then his choices aren't necessarily the wizards right now or the Raptors right now. And that's it. It could be, you know what? I'm happy. I think he's genuinely happy in Toronto. It's true what Larry Tannenbaum, who's the owner of Raptors, said after the game that he has gotten whatever he wanted. He's requested a G League team, gotten it, bigger staff in the front office, gotten it, all that stuff, practice facility, everything. That's all true, and I think he has a great relationship with ownership there. Uh, but if he, say, wants a, a, another, a different kind of job, he can wait out one of these flashier organizations within a better basketball situation, the Wizards, and just go there in 2020 or 2021. Because something, Pat Riley's going to retire at some point, or the Knicks are going to whiff this summer and they're going to want a new front office next year the or the year after that. Yeah, or the Lakers are just going to reopen up next year because they didn't hire anyone to replace Magic. Like, they're... Yeah, or the you know the, maybe the Bulls will open up in the next year or two. It's just like oh, the Bulls spending money on a GM. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so Devils Advocate to that point because I, yeah. I actually I actually don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Okay, great. Um, but you yes. would, you would know better. No, no, no. Don't say take that back. All right, Discord. all right. So Devils Advocate to, the, to that point. One, the three things I would say. One, winning that title may also cement more that he has finished his business with the rebuild of that team and he finished it successfully. So there's always the going out on top element of it um, where I think if he had lost that title, perhaps he may have thought we still have more business business to finish, even given the Kawhi Leonard situation, given all this laid out. I mean, that's, that's one thought I have on that. The other, another thought is like, I think we'd say this a lot and I don't know if reality plays out like it does in our heads, but the Wizards were willing to make this offer to him before he won a championship. So presumably he has this level of value in the league where winning the championship versus losing in seven games or whatever before winning the championship would not have changed his value dramatically, right? I mean, the Wizards the Wizards didn't make this $10 million offer conditional on them winning game six, right? Mm-hmm. They were trying to make this offer anyway. So clearly he has a reputation around the league that is really high whether he's won a title or not. I, I get that, you know, down the road maybe the – the title part set means something, but right now I don't think it certainly does. And then option three is all that you said about him winning a title and like kind of him moving. That's not necessarily mutually exclusive to whether he stays or goes like that would still be true. If he took the wizard's job, he could always go somewhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. But I don't think that necessarily changes anything. If, that he won the title, because I think that would have been the case regardless. I mean, I'm surely he wouldn't have, Left after a year, if he had if he hypothetically takes a wizard's job, I mean that I mean maybe he would, but that seems unrealistic. But he's he's not an old man. He's got a lot of years left doing this job. Surely there could be an opportunity down the road that's bigger than the wizards that he would take eventually. And 
keep that title winning sort of cachet in his pocket, back pocket, or maybe he'll win the title with the win. Okay, I'm just kidding. That won't happen. But, um, you know, I, I don't think that winning really changes that, those elements of it. So I actually don't know if I agree that winning a title makes a huge difference one way or the other, um, ultimately. I mean, he, either way, he's completed this great rebuild with Kawhi Leonard. Either way, the team is at the same point. The Raptors, where they've staked so much in this one season, and who knows what happens with Kawhi. And there's no, nothing saying he can't win a title in the future or still be the same value executive in the future beyond this year. Yeah. No, I mean, that's fair. Uh, the one thing that I would say is I think you're, um, you might be misunderstanding a little because I think you and I think very similarly. Right. And I think you might be misunderestimating a little how results-oriented some of the people around the league are. I mean, that that's the thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it all sounds right in theory, but, but, I mean, just attaching that title kind of cachet means something. Um, I mean, I definitely agree with that, although, again, it didn't stop the Wizards from making their offer. And I believe this is – is Phil Jackson the only executive who has been paid more than, than a jury in this Wizards offer? Uh, you know, there are executive salaries are obviously uh, those are confidential. They don't get out. I've I've heard some stuff about p- other other people who make similar amounts or more. Um, I guess I'm going to say I, I'm pretty confident Pat Riley makes over ten a year. Well, it does, doesn't he have an ownership stake? Or am I- yes, yes, Riley so does. That, but I'm, that's- yeah. So that's something. Yeah, Flip Flip got an ownership stake when he went to Minnesota. Um, There are some other scenarios in history of that happened. Uh, Based based on um, pure salary, uh, I think there are some other people, but I'm not confident enough in nailing down those salaries because I just haven't done enough reporting on it to where I I would say it publicly. But I think there are people who who make as much or more than that or have made as much. Okay. And more than that in the in the past. It's just that Phil's salary was so public, right? That okay. people were like, "Oh, twelve million. But I mean, that's a historic. It's a historically large number. Like it would put him in the realm of the absolute beasts of the league, the right. RC Bufords, and you know, the the rest. You know, Pat Riley, and maybe that's it. Maybe Bob Myers. Um, that know, Ainge. I don't know what Ainge makes. Right. But either way, that offer was coming whether they won the title or not. Like, it's not like, I, I don't, yes, I mean, maybe sure. I'm wrong, but they, they don't have like a bonus for winning the title in that offer, right? It's $10 million mm-hmm. a year whether they won the title or not. Like, mm-hmm. they felt that highly of him. So, you know, I agree with you. Like, like I think it's it might pay off more in like five years when like the jury's looking for his next. Next job, and you're like, oh, title-winning executive Messiah Jiri. But right now, I'm not entirely sure it makes a huge difference. Yeah, to me, to me, the way it feels like, uh, the way it feels like KD, is that ever since Tim Connolly turned them down on May 20th, and so it's been almost a month since May 20th. Yeah. It's not like they. It's not like they did like a ton of interviews before then either. No, they they interviewed Danny Ferry twice. They interviewed Troy Weaver twice, and. Uh, they interviewed Gerson Rosas. The Gerson Rosas interview was a fake interview, by the way. Like, that was not a real interview. Gerson Rosas knew he was taking the Minnesota job. I'm sure the Wizards knew because Rosas knew. And Rosas took the job the next, like, less than 24 right. hours 
he 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 pretty much immediately called Minnesota and was like, "Yep, I'm in." And literally less than 24 hours later, it was accepted. It was and reported and everything that he was going to Minnesota for that job. So like, and as you've reported, they and and noted. They fired Ernie Grimfeld before the end of the season, and the stated reason was to get a jump start on all this. Yeah. I mean, what's what's weird to me is that even if you think you have a 50% chance at Maasai, which I don't think they have a 50% chance at Maasai. Maybe they have better intel than I do. They hired a search firm. I don't have a search firm. Uh Maybe they believe they have a 50% chance at Maasai. Maybe they believe they have a 60% chance at Maasai. Even if they believe they have a 60% chance at Maasai, and even if they're right and I'm wrong, and they really do have a 60% chance at Maasai, which is possible, sure, that's fine. I mean, I'm just, I haven't thrown anything under 100%, really. Yeah, anything under 100%, you line up your plan B. Now, I, I, my, my prediction is that if Maasai says no, Tommy Shepard's going to get it. And from everything that I gather, and I've written about – I wrote a whole story on this, which if you want to know how they're preparing for the draft, because Tommy Shepard, no matter what, is going to run the draft. If you want to know how they're preparing for the draft and all that, read my story from Wednesday where I have a lot of information on what kind of changes they're making in their draft process and what kind of stuff right. and what kind of stuff they're keeping as well. There are a lot more analytics and numbers and data slanted right now under Tommy. That's a big, big change that he has wanted to invoke. Uh, they're making a huge deal about culture. They've acknowledged the Wizards' cultural problems and are trying to change them. There are clear changes that they're trying to make, and I think the Wizards are pretty pleased with what Tommy has done during this time. Now, from a PR perspective, I understand why it could be hard to sell. If he does a good job, that's going to change real quick. I said last right. week that I said last week or two weeks ago when I had Andrew Sharp on. Uh, we were talking about how people don't care who the GM is, and I think there's some people on Twitter misconstrued it, and maybe I'm just reading into one conversation that a couple people had on Twitter. And what what, did the, what was the conversation? Exactly. They were saying, I can't believe you say people don't care about the GM. Uh, I can't believe you think people don't care about the GM. Like The reason they did it then was because they wanted to extend the – Ticket renewal thing, so people are going to get fired and they can get season ticket renewals, blah, blah, blah. Which, by the way, I see people say that. I see some credentialed media saying that on Twitter. This is not like a league rule. You can extend the ticket season, the season ticket deadline to whatever <laughs> you want, which means you can fire the guy whenever you want. They could have extended it. They could have fired him the last day of the season. Yeah, but imagine the accounting the difficulties of doing that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean they, these things. I, I, I There's think no moratorium. Kind of half right. Like, uh, but so the reason, the point was, by the way, when I said people don't care about the GM, it's that people don't care about the person. They care about the moves the GM made. People didn't dislike Ernie Grunfeld. People didn't know Ernie Grunfeld. Ernie Grunfeld is a nice man. People right. didn't know Ernie Grunfeld. People people just disliked the moves he made, which is and that's totally no different reasonable. than a player, really. I mean, they're, they're, uh, we saw in, this, in the Durant saga, I think, what the Boogie Cousins say exactly, they don't really care about us unless we're doing something. The difference is that a GM doesn't have direct control over the results in the same way a player does. You know, the GM can make all the moves he wants, but they, the player still have to play and the coach still has to coach. It's just so removed. And, I mean, to your point, like, how many people knew who Masai Jury was in 2010? Yeah. No, it's I mean, like, And it's the same thing with coaches, I think. I mean, it's really the same thing with anyone. I, I, I think um, it's, in a lot of ways, 
it speaks a little bit to how weird the position is. You know, you're in charge of basketball operations, but I would say it's fair to say your day-to-day is not spent necessarily on entirely basketball things that you would think are like kind of the things that a scout would be spending their day on. That's why you have scouts. That's why you have a front office. You're literally a general manager. So how are we supposed to know what it means to be a good general manager from a literal sense of the term? Like what is what is it what do you mean what does it mean to generally manage? And I think that's really tough and that's why I think it's hard to evaluate these candidates and it's it's why I think I agree with you generally that people don't really care because what a general manager does and what uh, a general manager's record is are just so different. You know, to the point where I understand what a player does much more. It's easier to understand that. Um, So I I kind of agree with you. I mean, to go back to, I guess, the initial point about Tommy, like it is interesting how much we make of the person at the top of the pyramid rather than thinking about what's going on in the within the pyramid. You know, I I think David Griffin is an interesting example. That's in New Orleans where. It's great that they hired David Griffin, but I mean, really what you're bringing in with David Griffin is the power to hire all the people that the Pelicans have hired to beat this stuff up. And so this is why I actually kind of like the message that Ted had of collaboration and improving from within, because I think that's ultimately what the problem with the Wizards was, is that it's less so the person at the top, although I don't think, obviously has a lot to blame with it, but they're broken processes. I mean, I think anyone who was covering the team would say, and you can tell me if this is unfair, I mean, I know this... I had a sense that this is what it was years ago when I was more in town. Ernie and Tommy were kind of one and one A, but they weren't always running on the same tracks anyway. You know, there was there was a little bit of a disconnect between the two of them in terms of who did what. Um, it was sort of a uh, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was an interesting alliance. And so I do think that there is a really good chance to your point that Tommy takes over and it's just different, and it already is. And that could happen, and that would be more important than hiring the most, the biggest name at the top of the pyramid. Yeah, and I think fans' opinions would change when they started to see the move. Like, yes, I do believe initially that the average fan, if you just elevate the guy below, I do believe that fans would be like, well, that's no change. How are you going to do that? And that that would probably turn a lot of Wizards fans off initially. But mm-hmm. you know what? If the Wizards make a couple good trades, they make a couple smart moves to end up getting a couple picks to add to what they have, uh, they make a couple cap-saving deals, maybe they sign, re-sign Thomas Bryant to an under-the-market under contract and he ends up improving a lot, maybe they they sign a couple scrap heap guys who nobody's heard of and, and one of them turns into you know the Nets with Spencer Dinwiddie. I've said this before. When the Nets got Sean Marks, Nets fans had no idea who Sean Marks was. They just knew he was an assistant GM somewhere else and that he came from the Spurs and they were excited to say, from specifically the Spurs. Some, specifically right. the somewhere else was the <laughs> right. important part. Right. right. Uh, but now he's like a god amongst all seven Nets fans who exist. Like, he's... <laughs> I hear you, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I mean, it's just... And now they're going to get Kyrie Irving, and it might undo all the culture that Sean Marks supposedly built, and, or yes. at least it would threaten. So, I mean, Very these things true. are weird. But the, here's the flip side of that argument, though. If all that is true, why are you then pursuing Masai Ujiri so aggressively and pursuing Tim Connolly so aggressively? In a way, the Wizards have sort of undercut that, that their own argument. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. I mean, one one question that I'd have 
that I do have, and I, I do not know the answer to this, to the point that I wrote in that story this morning that I don't know the answer to this. If Messiah, is, if Messiah comes, let's say they get him, and he's the president of Monumental, I don't know if they are going to hire somebody to basically be the president or the GM of the Wizards and just run the day-to-day. Because I don't know how much of him being president of Monumental would be in title versus in actions. You can't run, like practically, you cannot run the day-to-day of the Wizards, the Capitals, the Mystics, the Go-Go, a 2K team, whatever else is there at Monumental. You can't do that. You have to be a big picture person. I'm sure, you know, when it comes to trading Bradley Beal, he will have input. When it comes to making deals, he will have input. When it comes to a first-round draft pick, he'll have input. All that kind of stuff. But you can't run the day-to-day like that. So I wonder if it would be, uh, you know, a Pat Riley, Andy Ellisberg situation or, or you know, things like that where you have a respected, legitimate GM who's basically the quality and caliber of a number one and could be a number one who's running your day-to-day. And I don't know if that could be Tommy, that could be Danny Ferry, that could be Troy Weaver, that could be somebody else at some point. Or they might just not do that and Masai could just concentrate more on the Wizards than he could on everything else. But if he divvied up all those teams evenly, no human being has the time to run all those teams at once and run the day-to-day stuff. So I don't know exactly – I do not know how they would handle that. I don't know how his time would be proportioned. I don't know how his duties would be proportioned, anything like that. Uh, I have no idea on this, but I think it's – it's worth asking the question. It's worth wondering because uh, there is an answer out there. Right. And also, why would you hire Messiah Jury to not do what he's currently doing with the Toronto Raptors, whatever that is? I think Messiah has always had interests outside of day-to-day basketball stuff. That now, makes I sense. That I don't know sense. if he then wants why? to get out of it right now. I don't know right. if he feels like, oh, i got to get out of it now. But I think at some point in his life, he wants to be doing bigger, more important, more powerful things than choosing a second-round pick. That makes sense. But then why are you putting so many eggs in that basket for him to do a job that – I mean, it makes sense for him. But is that – why would you do that? You're hiring him. You're giving him a big salary, presumably in large part because of his track record of what he has done. And so then you're going to have him do something that he hasn't done because it's what sort of his passion is. To me, that's a lot of money to lay out for that. And it's not entirely clear based on what we've talked about that it's like a necessary set of responsibilities beyond just the PR of it and, you know, beyond the gravitas that Masai has. You know, that's the part that I think is, is a little odd to me. You know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I actually don't know if I agree with you just because Masai is so well-respected in, in ways that go beyond just like the Kawhi trade and and right. the Bargnani trade and those sorts of things. He's so well-respected from the Giants of Africa stuff, from organizing stuff in the African League. I mean, he's a smart, extremely well-respected, extremely well-thought-of businessman. Uh, and so I think I have to imagine that when you're talking about giving someone a title like that, you're looking beyond the Kawhi trade, and you're looking at his work in Africa, and you're oh, looking I'm, at his business stuff and so. all that yes, sort of stuff, definitely. and you're saying he can do that, he can do this. This is somebody. I mean, there are a lot of people in the league who will tell he's he's got to be one of the most generally respected minds in the league, and it's not just for basketball. And I think, uh, I, I imagine when you want to give him a position like this, 
that's what you're looking at. And and I don't know enough to say if that's right or wrong, but that actually does make sense to me. Like he's I don't I think there are certain people in the league who are great at running the day to day basketball stuff, who are great number ones who would not be great in this role. But I right. could see him being great in a role like this and I could then see him retiring to something like this too. And then you'd have to hire someone to do that role. Yes, you do. I guess the question then is I mean, I guess we don't know how much money Ted's willing to spend on revamping the front office. But one of the concern I might have is that, like, are you, is it really worth spending all this money at the top at the expense of spending money to improve what I think is more of an issue, which is the infrastructure and the communication patterns? And maybe they're not mutually exclusive, but then that would be the question. You know, because if you just plop besides you're at the top of the org chart and keep everything else the same, I'm not sure that that, that seems to be the opposite of what you suggested you were going to do with the search. That's a fair point. You know, where you said it's collaborative and and all that. I mean, and it's just, I, I just, I, the other part that just doesn't make sense to me is why this has been the sole focus of the organization's search, where they haven't at least kind of opened a net up to more candidates. Maybe those candidates have turned them down. I would, for interviews, I would find that hard to believe, but maybe they knew that Masai was a target and it was just a waste of their time. But in general, it seems to me like any hiring practice, you want to hire, you want to bring in as many people and many different kind of people as possible to get the best result. And they've, they've interviewed three people. One of which, one of which already works for them. And that seems to be a poor way to find the best candidate. I mean, I know this, this industry is a little different, but. You can still have your sights set on Masai Ujiri and, and you know, Tim Conley, which, by the way, that's another question. Was, to, was, was Masai Ujiri, like, always the top choice, or was he only the top choice after Tim Connolly turned them down? I mean, what's a, one question that I've wondered, and again, I don't know the answer to this either, but it's worth wondering, is, I mean, I can, I can guess. It seems like if you, you know what, I shouldn't say I don't know the answer to this, because I'm just going to use deductive, normal reasoning. So you have... You are an employed person, so I'm going to assume that you have gone through a job application process before, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was very not traditional because I got hired by a company that had 30 people when I got hired. But yes, I've but you hired have a people. general. Yes. You have a general idea of how a job application process yes. works, right? I think yeah, anyone who understands how a job application process works would understand this. The first person you offer is your first choice. Otherwise. Why would you offer it to them? So if you're if the first person you offer is your first choice, then the Wizards' first choice was Tim Connolly. Now I have not nailed down the exact offer they made to Tim Connolly in terms of money. Uh, it was not close to ten million dollars a year. I don't know offer. why. It was like a legit offer because there had been some confusion about that, but to me it seems obvious it was an offer. Yeah, yeah, it was an offer, and and it was. Uh, it was an offer, and it was not $10 million a year. So it is just odd to me to go after your second choice for more money. Twice as much money. (laughs) Yeah, like way more money, not, not, you know, a couple bucks more. I mean, millions upon millions of dollars more uh, than you did your first choice. Now, I guess the argument here is that they're in slightly different positions and they're offering him monumental – And I guess, even though no one's indicated this to me, I guess it's possible that they were going to go after Connolly to do the day-to-day basketball stuff, and then they were still going to go after Masai for this monumental position and just Uh, have, like, a super front office. But I would – 
I would strongly bet against that. I mean, I'd set the odds of that as, as real, real low. I really does anyone have that. a does anyone have like a whatever they what do they offer Tim? This is like let's say in the five to seven million dollar range. Is that about right? Whatever it is, like does anyone have a number two that makes so much money? I mean, what, what, maybe the Clippers. So I don't know. Mm, yeah, I mean, maybe the Clippers. Maybe the Clippers. Right, but it's atypical. Like you wouldn't. I mean, you'd have to really invest in your. Yeah, I mean, and that makes me wonder, like, what is the point of of all these things coming out? What is the point of this pursuit? Is it actually to find the best candidate and the one that's most likely to accept, or is it to get people excited? Yeah, get the fan base excited. And I'm not suggesting that they're cynically leaking this stuff to you guys. Of course not. I'm sure they're legitimately pursuing him. But you know, as a wizard, as a fan, like this is just why would I get? Why why should I be excited about that? You they're pursuing them, this guy when. To, to your point, like he was, what he's the second choice, and yet they're pay, they're not, they're pursuing him like a first choice, and all of a sudden his name kind of gets dropped after at the beginning of this search, and I, I just I, there's something about it that cynical me wonders what exactly is the purpose of all of this, this search. Uh, it's the same thing with Durant. It got people really excited. It got. I mean, we we jokingly had the whole KD to DC thing on our site, so I mean, we kind of played a part. But I mean, ultimately, that's what it was about in a lot of ways. It just sort of got people excited and distracted. And now they got the MU to DC thing on Reddit and Twitter. So there you go. Yeah, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same way. No, it doesn't. I, I, we got to come up with something a little different. Yeah. It's got to be the move. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm like, there, there, there seem to be similarities. And look, there's similarities to Tim Connolly. The Tim Connolly was, uh, to some degree, an Intel failure because they were confident they were going to get him. They didn't right. really line up a proper plan B to where they could just turn and offer the job to the next day because they didn't interview people. And it was an Intel failure. You don't just have to say if you're a team in a search firm looking for a candidate, hey, that guy would be good. Any casual fan could be like, oh, you know, you should get, you should go get that upstart GM who built that 54 win team with the second youngest roster in the NBA. Why don't you get that guy? He's and oh, by the way, he used to work for you. Yeah, and he worked for you for 14, 15 years. Yeah, and his brother worked for you. Yeah, his whole both brothers. brothers. Yeah, and he's and he's from and he's from you know right next door, and uh, his wife is from there too. Go get that guy. By the way, to your point about the Intel thing, ultimately Kevin Durant was an Intel failure too because yes, if you talk to most people around the league, like he really didn't want to go home. And yet there was this was still sold as like, oh, he really won't want to go home. Actually, it was the last place he wanted to go. Yeah. Because I mean, it had nothing to do with the Wizards. Well, that's why, that's why I thought of this because you're talking about KD, and that was, that was the classic Intel failure. Tim Conley was an Intel failure because you can't just say this guy would be good. You have to know if he's available and that he wants the job if you're going to wait that long. And the fact that they aren't looking for a plan B. Now, if they turn around and they give Tommy Shepard a three-year deal, uh, that's fine. That means that their choice, their number two choice really is Tommy Shepard. And then that would explain this process. If they turn around and give Tommy Shepard a one-year deal, that's them saying they couldn't find someone good enough. And that's a problem because somewhere out there is a person who's going to be a good GM. Don't you think it's sort of saying that anyway at this point, though? Even if you give him a three-year deal with all the hype that's come from these Connolly and Ujiri searches. I mean, by the way, not second choice, third choice. Yeah. 
So, I mean, no matter what you give Tommy Shepard at this point after – if you don't get a jury, you've already said that. You've already made that statement. So you better be right that you could get inside a jury. So that and, – and again, the Wizards pass here does not inspire a whole lot of confidence. Anything uh, Anything else before we go? I mean, man, the, the way the league changed last night, I'm still processing it. Mm. The, the finals game, it's just unbelievable. Oh, I feel um, so bad about Clay. I mean, okay, so – Maybe this is something that I'm stepping too far out uh, of bounds on, but I, I'm not going to say that I thought I was worried. I knew that Clay was going to tear his ACL or Katie was going to tear his Achilles, but something about the Warriors' entire playoff run scared me from the beginning when they were playing Kevin Durant 46 minutes in these playoff games when they were pushing these guys to the limit already. I'm not. I I, I was worried that they would just not be able to get through this whole thing, especially considering their history, and it just makes me wonder. You know, I, I think I think it's time will tell if they've managed this whole situation properly. But I think it's right to ask a lot of questions about all that. Yeah, it's it's really it's unbelievable. I mean, it's it's gotta be. I assume like it's it's gotta be unprecedented to lose two Hall of Famers to an Achilles and an ACL like, soft tissue in the please. same in the same finals, like. That's just got to be unprecedented. I can't think of anything like that. And it's it, just, it sucks. It sucks it for the sucks. league. Uh, meanwhile, the Warriors, I mean, that team could win 45 games next year now. And 45 games in the West might not be good enough, by the way. We'll see what happens this offseason. But there's a chance 45 in the West isn't good enough. And that team with Curry and Draymond and whatever else they build, like it's going to be hard to find good contributors who are going to help you for the majority of the year with, even if KD resigns with no KD and no clay for the majority of the year, that is going to be really tough for them to win games. I mean, if they win 50 games, Curry's going to win his third MVP. It's, it is just going to be amazing to watch that team next year. And it's so disappointing um, Clay, Clay is, you know, Clay's just one of my favorite guys in the league. He's just, he's just so, I don't, I don't know what there is not to love about the way he plays the game. Um, and it's just really, it's sad. It is sad. I, I also, I mean, bad luck, but I can't, I, I can't help but think it's not all bad luck. That, that's something that's, that, that the wear and tear that piled up in part due to the long runs they had, but also in part to the lack of depth they had and the fact that they really ramped up the minutes earlier in the playoffs than they usually do. You know, like the mm-hmm. first round, they should not be playing Kevin Durant 46 minutes in a first-round playoff game. They shouldn't need to, you know. And I, yeah. I, I, just, I just don't know if – plus if you consider the style of play they have, I just, I just don't know if – I know that – training staff is well respected. I know they've earned the benefit of the doubt, but I think time may not be that kind to what led to this. I don't think it was entirely bad. Like that might be stepping out of bounds because I don't have a medical degree, but I don't know. I, I just I, I can't get on, I can't get on board with the only wow this is bad luck. Yeah. Hey. Uh plug your great work before we go. Because you do awesome work and people should be reading. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything crazy coming out now, but our entire team has been all over the finals. Paul Flannery has been out there and produced some really awesome stuff. Uh, Michael Pina has been an awesome addition to the team. Uh, we picked up in midseason. Uh, Pina, Pina Tom, was a great hire. 
Pina's so good at his job. Yeah, I mean, just thinking of things that, like, I would never have thought of, like the Fred Van Fleet post that he just did on the end of the shot clock is just is a, the latest example. And there's more good stuff he's working on to come. Uh, and our entire, really on down to Christian Winfield, Matt Allentuck, uh, Ricky O'Donnell doing the draft, and, of course, Tom Ziller. Um, it's It's been a fun... Wild year for us. Obviously, we've had a few we've had a few changes on staff, but I think it's it's a pleasure to come to work with all those folks every day. So I don't want anything personally unplugging, but one thing I will say: there's going to be a really really cool draft thing coming out on Monday uh, that is the brainchild of Ricky O'Donnell that I think will really help anyone who has not actually studied this draft. Great, perfect. And speaking of the draft, uh, we had talked about potentially chatting about the draft, and we said we were going to go 25 minutes, and then we went 40. So. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I will have the draft is six days from now. I yeah. will have a draft preview podcast coming out next week, either Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. It will be out before Thursday's draft, so you can have a day to listen to it and such. And we'll be talking about number nine possibilities at number nine, guys, the Wizards have worked out, um, all that stuff. I I do have a story up on The Athletic from Wednesday just talking about taking through kind of, I'll admit it it might be a little bit dry at points, but I just kind of wanted to be able to get the information out there because I found it really interesting what they're doing in their draft process, what their mocks that they have inside are like. They've got three mock drafts that they do, what those are like. I've got a couple of stories about how they interview guys and and other things they're trying to do, how they're trying to become more analytical and data-driven and all that kind of stuff. So that's all in the story if you really want to learn what their draft process is like under an interim because Tommy Shepard, whether Masai gets this job, whether someone else gets this job, whether Tommy Shepard eventually gets this job, Tommy Shepard's going to be the one making that pick when that happens on June 20th. Like, that is how the timeline has worked out. It's happening. The Wizards basically announced it anyway. Um, they slipped it in there in the <laughs> in the little draft announcement. By the way, I, I do have to say one last thing. One, I'm very curious to read that. And two, it must be nice working for a subscription site where you can say, yeah, this might be kind of boring, but this is what I'm working on. <laughs> to the masses. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a writer. No one said I was a salesman. <laughs> so I don't think I don't think that was a subscription site thing. I think that was a me not knowing how to sell my work thing. Okay, well I can help you with that. There you go. I when I in my when I was in Oklahoma, whenever Royce Young and I would podcast together on my podcast, our thing was the way would we would promote the podcast was we would we would just tweet about how horrible of a podcast it was. And the neg the neg strategy. Yeah, it would always work. I mean that's basically shut down Fullcast's entire podcast yeah. distilled. It was Spencer work. and Jason Kirk and all the college football guys. So it does work. I mean, yeah. That's true. It would work. We would just tweet out, this is the worst podcast I've ever recorded. And the whole thing is terrible. Tweet out why we thought it was awful. And people would always would always listen. It was really great. Uh, that is going to be it for today's episode. I will be back, like I said, next week talking about draft stuff. Go on, uh, go on iTunes and subscribe and review. Give five-star rating. Those are always lovely, as I always say. I'll be back either Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday talking draft stuff. Thank you for coming on, Mike. I will. Thanks talk. for having me. I'll talk to you guys next week.